Be reading 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 18. At my first offense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the proclamation might be fully made through me and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Four hundred and eighteen. Four one eight will be the song of encouragement. Someone wrote, God is the reason why even in pain I smile, in confusion I understand, in betrayal I trust, and in fear I continue to fight. The Apostle Paul is a great example of trusting God. It would certainly be fair to state that he did not rely upon the opinions of others especially when it came to his spiritual well-being or his preaching the gospel. I think Paul was the kind of person who God sought that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap, Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, as he diligently worked for and never compromised what he knew to be right in the sight of God. I think it is plain to see Paul never feared to defend the truths of the Bible, no matter who was in the audience from his enemies to his loved ones. One of the most prominent examples of trusting God instead of someone is seen in his conversion. That is recorded for us in Acts chapters 9, 22, and 26. Now prior to that, Paul was probably the worst enemy in flesh that the church had ever seen up to that time. Luke wrote this, Acts 9, beginning with verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now Saul was the main oppressor against the, uh, in the great... Uh, persecution against Jerusalem, leading the brethren to flee that great city. And that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles, Acts 8, 1. He did what he did because he thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. And that was defending the true religion of heaven. Now he couldn't have been further from the truth. He was not defending the true religion of heaven, but he thought he was. So how was it that Paul could have ever been converted to the gospel of Christ? The answer, of course, is the gospel. Because it is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16. Now even before his conversion to the gospel, Paul trusted and believed in God, even though those beliefs and that trust was misplaced. Fortunately for him and us, he saw the error of his way and he saw his way out of that error into the light. 
But he still carried the scars of that error. He carried that with him for the rest of his life. He carried the hurt that he caused. He carried that with him. Notice what he said. He called himself the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. He knew that God had forgiven him of his past sins, Acts 22.16, but he still felt the pain of having persecuted the church of Christ. He felt the pain of having had part in murdering Christians such as Stephen. Now we're not so different from Paul, are we? Now our shortcomings are different, no doubt. But, when one's love for God is strong, it will still allow us to overcome those shortcomings. It will allow us to trust in Him and find the strength needed in this life to be able to come out of whatever problems we have. The title of the sermon this morning is Standing in the Gap. Now Paul was able to do that because he relied upon God. He was able to see his way through the the darkness of the day He relied upon God. That's our first point. He didn't rely upon other people to get him where he needed to be. Notice what he said. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Because Paul was determined to follow God whether anyone else did or not. He was going to follow God. He did not base his decisions upon what his friends may have chosen to do. Now, he had a lot of friends in the Jewish religion, but they weren't going in the right direction. But Paul wanted to go in the right direction. Even during difficult times, he could be counted on to do that which was right. Paul understood how looking to others could destroy a person. He had seen that happen a lot of times. But he was going to go in the right direction. He warned the brethren about that saying, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? 1 Corinthians 1, 11-13. He understood how that could cause a problem. The first denominations we read about in the New Testament formed in Corinth. And Paul wanted to put a stop to it. Paul was determined to rely on God, and that is especially clear when he had to defend himself. He was determined, but then he had to defend himself. He said not one person stood by him. Now the word defense is a legal word, which means to give an answer, given to an accusation. The first defense is likely that first trial he had in his second imprisonment in Rome. Now he would have stood trial before the city prefect, an official of the emperor of Nero. Nero was a quite a wicked and an evil man. It is possible though, Paul's second trial had already taken place and he was simply relaying the events, the events that had taken place uh, of the first one. Now if that is the case, then it is clear why he made the statement. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand, 2 Timothy 4, 6. See, he understood that the appeal process had run its course, 
and the end was near. But he was ready. If that was the case, there was no fear in his correspondence to his good friend Timothy. Of course, he's talking about his death. The word stood is also a legal term. And during the rule of the Roman Empire, an accused person was allowed to have a friend or friends accompany him during the trial as an assistant in their defense or assistance. Now the connection between the two is Paul did not have even one person to come to his defense during his trial. He faced death at the hands of the Romans alone. He was being accused, not one person. Can you imagine that? To be stand, to stand accused and not one single person to stand up beside a man? After all Paul had done, the lesson learned is if Paul could rely on God and during the abuse of a martyr, surely Christians today can rely on him for strength. We don't have to endure the things Paul endured. The writer of Hebrews encouraged us by saying this, Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Paul had it bad. I don't think any of us can say that we have it bad. Paul was able to stand in the gap because he relied upon God and he recognized Him as the source of his strength. That's, the, that's our second point. He recognized Him as the source of his strength. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. See, God was faithful to and he protected Paul. We have to understand how he protected Paul, though, and how he will protect us. God will protect us, but we have to clearly understand how that is done. He protected Paul, but wasn't he ultimately murdered for the cause of Christ? So someone says, how did he protect him? He protected the martyrs of the revelation, but they lost their lives. Someone says, well, that doesn't sound like much protection to me. Well, he protects the faithful by giving them an eternal home. That will not uh, have any of the problems in this physical life. That's pretty good protection. The eternal home protects us from all things. And now that I think about it even more, that's wonderful protection, isn't it? John described the heavenly home as a place where, Revelation 2, beginning with verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now think about that. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. You enter in through that door, or that gate rather, and as you're coming home, He wipes away the tears. No tears in heaven. God will take care of those. He'll wipe them away. There shall be no more death. No sorrow. No crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. 
for the former things are passed away. You know, the psalmist was right when he said this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 46.1 Because God protected Paul, He also provided for him. And He provides for us. He provided strength for Paul in his time of need spiritually. The Lord made Paul dynamic. Translated, strengthened. That's what the Greek word intends. Translated, strengthened. When it came time to speak in his own defense, he was able to do it courageously. He didn't need anyone to stand with him. No one was a good enough friend to stand with Paul, and no one was courageous enough. But he didn't need anyone. He stood on his own because God stood. Who do you need if God stands with you? It is much harder to stand by our convictions when we're under trying circumstances, isn't it? It's harder to do that, but we can if we allow God to strengthen us. Think about Paul's situation. He was standing before Nero, or his representative, and his life was on the line. Can you imagine the stress? Peter learned that lesson in a very personal way, didn't he? While following the Lord afar off, he would deny Him three times to the non-believer, Matthew 26, 34. He was scared for his life. After all, they were dragging the Lord to His death. you think one more would matter? But he did not allow God to strengthen him. When we look to God and follow His instruction, He will strengthen us in our times of need. Now, I don't think we're going to be dragged off to our death, at least not in the present. It may come, but it's not right now. Peter said this, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Now we have to keep in mind, God's purpose is for us to be saved spiritually, not physically. Spiritually, even if we suffer physically. Now, He doesn't want that, but that's an aside. That's an aside. Paul relied upon God. He recognized Him as His strength, and because of that, he realized. That's our third and our last point. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. Paul would be delivered. But someone may ask, and rightly so, they will ask this. And I think it's a good question. Didn't he die at the hand of the executioner? did. So what did he mean that he would be delivered? Well, he was delivered. But let's notice something. At times, the Lord delivers his disciples from death. And we've read about that. At other times, he delivers them through death. 
And that's what happened to Paul. Delivered through death. Because of being delivered, Paul would never, ever have to face that evil again. He was delivered through death. He continued and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. His heavenly kingdom. Now when we look and we read through the Bible and we read about the kingdom of heaven and most of the time we read about the kingdom of heaven particularly in the Gospels we're talking about the church. Repent you for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now Paul here is talking about heaven. He's talking about being delivered and preserved unto His heavenly kingdom. He's going, he, he knows where He will be eternally. And that's where He is going to be delivered. Through death, He will be delivered to the heavenly kingdom. And that's what He's waiting on. And that's what He had been waiting on. All this time, the Savior would bear Him safely and accompany Him through the execution. Paul wasn't going to his death alone. Now, he didn't have anyone with him. Physically, he didn't have anyone holding his hand, encouraging him. But if Paul can physically walk to his death alone, being ridiculed, sure, we can face the tough times in this life alone. If we have to. God will be with us. We ought to be able to do that. Even with a smile on our faces. Paul was always ready and happy. To praise God. No need to be ugly and mean. He was pleased by the way the Lord had worked in his life. And how he had never forsaken him at any point. Can we not learn that from Paul? As he ended his letter to Timothy, he wanted him to be well aware of how he felt toward the greatest friend he had ever had as he delivered him. And that he never doubted God would take care of him. In his letter to the Philippians, he said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Philippians 3, beginning with verse 7. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the, Christ, uh, the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You know, that passage explains the significance of Paul's pedigree as a Jew. He was a very prominent and a successful Jew, but he gave it all away. He counted it as loss, as trash, to go on the dump heap for Christ. There's little doubt his peers counted him as the ultimate fool. You gave it all away. You gave away all your political power. You gave away all of your 
your financial gain that you had meticulously put together in this life and right before their eyes he had gone from the greatest enemy of the church to its greatest advocate. And in their eyes, for nothing. He had just thrown it all away. They had to have been asking, what would cause such a change? Saul of Tarsus would have surely heard about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as he went about the countryside in search of Christians. He would have known who his enemy was, right? He would have known for whom he searched in the towns, in the villages. He stood and listened to Stephen preach one of the greatest sermons that we have recorded for us in Acts chapter 7. And then, of course, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, wanted to know why he was persecuting the church and hurting his followers. And then, of course, Saul asked him, well, what, what would you have me to do? And he said, go into the city. Someone's waiting on you. You'll learn there what you need to do. And he did just that. And after three days of fasting and praying, Ananias went to him and he taught him the gospel. The power of God unto salvation in Saul of Tarsus, the mighty persecutor, listened to the words of Ananias and he obeyed them. That is why he gave it all away. The power of the word. He obeyed that gospel. He began to understand Jesus was resurrected. He was not an imposter. And the words that Stephen spoke on that day, right before they stoned that good man to death, were the words of truth. He wasn't lying. He wasn't a blasphemer. He was a truth speaker. Can you imagine? That's why Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. That's why he carried the scars with him all those years. That's why Paul can count all those other things but loss for Christ. Nothing is more important than one's very soul. Jesus wisely asked, Matthew 16, 26, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? All we have to do is read the account of the rich man and Lazarus and that's answered for us. Paul answered all of those questions. A person is profited nothing if he loses his soul. Paul was willing to give up fame. He was willing to give up fortune. And all this world has to offer in exchange for his very soul. That's why he could endure all the hardships and perils that he faced. And we read about those in 2 Corinthians 11, 22-28 starvation, nakedness, a day and a night in the deep, beaten with rods, beaten with whips, stoned to death. I think he's the one he was talking about when he said, I knew a man that was caught up to the third heaven. I think he was left for dead. And it's that same reason why we're able to face the problems of this life 
When we look at what happened to Paul and then we look back onto our own lives, it's not even comparable. So when we begin to feel sorry for ourselves, when we begin to believe that we've been so mistreated, I think we need to do a study of Paul. Paul was mistreated. When I read about Paul, it breaks my heart. But if we do not have the spiritual foundation in the God of heaven, and we look to Him, we're not going to be able to stand up to Satan. We certainly can't do it alone. We have to have God standing beside us. If you never obeyed the gospel, we've talked about how to do that. Faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water. That's what Paul did. That's what Ananias taught him. If you've done those things, you've become unfaithful. Come back to him through repentance and confession and prayer. If you need to answer that invitation this day, do that as we stand and as we sing.